welcome to TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash TEH75. We have two hosts this week. I'm Leo Notenboom, Chief Question Answerer out at askleo.com. I'm a lover of coffee, corgis, and computers, though not always in that order. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, the host, producer, and guy behind MacMost.com, where I make Mac and iOS tutorials and such. And I also make mobile apps and do various other things as well. So, so how are you doing, Leo? It's just the two of us again. It is. It's just, you know, we're, well, clearly we're the important ones. Yeah. We're the, the most dedicated ones at any rate. Um, I'm doing well. So it's funny. Um, I probably will sound a little more tired than usual, uh, a little more off my game than usual. And I say that because I didn't get to bed last night until about, oh, I don't know, 2.30 or 3. Um, and I ended up getting up at 7.30 or 8 because of, you know, dogs. But um, we, I think you know, and I know that our listeners know, I volunteer for an organization called WASART, the Washington mm. State Animal Response Team. And yesterday we had a call out. Uh, there was a, a dog three and three quarter miles up a hiking trail that uh, had fallen off of a, uh, uh, they called it a cliff. It was definitely a, a steep area. And um, we deployed and bottom line is we rescued the dog. But uh, those are long and tiring de deployments. Um, mm -hmm. In my case, I did not end up going up the trail. But instead, uh, again, you know that I'm a ham radio operator. And as it turns out, this particular trailhead where we were operating out of was a uh, in a well into a cellular dead zone. There was nothing. And as it turns out, the dog owner who was up uh, you know, about 1,000 feet higher than the trailhead, uh, had his ham radio with him, which I thought was just really cool. I know that you know these days I certainly wouldn't go hiking without one. And he had reached out, uh, gotten the attention of somebody on a nearby uh, ham radio repeater that he was able to access. And uh, long story short, uh, we had a lot of radio work last night. That, uh, that kept our team uh, in touch throughout, both uh, in touch with each other, in touch with the folks, quote-unquote, back home, who are uh, you know, essentially the administrators running the operation, and uh, with the owner of the dog. So it was a very, re you know, it was a lot of fun. It was great to, to have it a, be a positive outcome, but the, the downside is I'm beat. <laughs> I'm yeah. just wasted. So I didn't get nearly as much done today as I expected I would. And on top of that... My wife had a flat tire, so I ended up um, uh, replacing. I ended up pulling her tire off. She, fortunately, it was leaking as she came home yesterday, and this morning we uh, we put air in it. And we could hear it hissing, and she said, "Nope, I'm not driving that." So I ended up uh, taking the tire off, taking it over to a local repair shop, and getting that repaired. So today did not turn out as planned. Wow. Yeah. Well, it's great that uh, the dog was able to be rescued. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's, it's always good when that happens. We, uh, it's a string of three for me right now in the, in the last month of uh, sorted call outs that I've participated in where uh, um, they've all been the same you know, category, dog over a cliff, uh, and they've all been successful, uh, successful rescues. Cool. Yeah. We get a lot of that here in Colorado too, where, you know, there's all these hiking trails up in the mountains and 
you hear you know stories most have good endings but not always right of dogs uh you know getting into trouble up there one on a on a walk so and you know i see all the time uh dogs off leash um when they shouldn't be right uh you know and i when i take my dog on trail i always follow whatever the rules are and the rules usually are you know that dogs have to be on a leash right and i think it's a, a good idea and also i find if you uh if you put, have your dog on the leash a lot it becomes easier and easier yes you know your dog understands how to go on a trail with you on the leash so it's not an inconvenience whereas if you only do it occasionally the dog's pulling in this direction or that direction it becomes a pain but um I have to say that 90% of the time when there's another dog on whatever trail I'm on, the dog's off leash. Interesting. And, yeah, we uh, did notice uh, both at the trailhead and then in documentation elsewhere, the rules for this particular one are, yes, your dog needs to be on a leash. And the good news here is that these folks were responsible owners without a shadow of a doubt. The dog was on a leash. They just had an unfortunate circumstance where um, apparently there was a tree in the trail and the dog went on one side, the owner went on the other, and just elected to drop the leash momentarily while they traversed the tree. And that's exactly the time where apparently some dirt went out from under the dog. But but yeah, yep, all good stuff. So how about you? Anything exciting? No, not too much. You know, I've just been uh, busy working. So Yeah. yeah. I need to get back to doing that. <laughs> I do. so, um, it's interesting. So uh, we uh, we use uh, Zoom as our recording software, Zoom.us, uh-huh. and in fact, it's it's what I'm staring at right now. Uh, Gary's caricature is looking back at me in the interface. The uh, Zoom made news last week, which I thought was really interesting, and specifically. On the Mac platform, uh, Gary, you probably yeah. know a little bit more about it, a little more of the details. Well, I mean, the de- it's one of those stories, again, that it was, I think, blown out of proportion from what I could tell. Um, and I didn't go and try to investigate the problem myself because uh, there was no need to. But the the headlines basically made it sound like that if you have Zoom installed, that somebody could just start watching you over your camera. Right. Just like that kind of flaw, where it's like you, they could be spying on you right now because you have Zoom installed, which was not true at all. The deal was is that um, you go to a web web page or or get a link from somebody, you know, and click on it to enter a Zoom meeting, and it could instantly put you in the meeting with your camera on, without asking for you know permission to do so. Uh, so kind of the you know the idea where it's like, well, there should be another step in there. But it wasn't the kind of thing – well, first of all, the Zoom app would have to launch, and you would see that you're on camera. Right. You know, it, would, it wouldn't be hidden at all. It would be like, oh, I'm in a Zoom meeting all of a sudden. Not that anybody reported this actually happening to them. Um, matter of fact, I don't think anybody did report this actually happened to them. It was just researchers that noticed this. Uh, so there was a lot of uh, – well, actually, there wasn't that much of a fuss about it, uh, which was good to see. I mean – course you have a few comments and a few forums of people being like oh you know this is horrible or whatever but uh it wasn't too bad i think most people realized that it was basically there should have been three steps to enter a video chat and there were only two steps and uh, i guess uh some people thought that was wrong so uh what was unusual made it a story is apple decided to uh, disable that somehow 
uh, disable, I guess, the older version of Zoom because Zoom came out with a an update, which is what we just installed. So Apple took the step to to do that. And then I guess the story became Apple could do that. And, <laughs> oh, and of course, Apple could do that. Well, here's the weird thing. So that got misreported, too. That definitely I know more about this. That got misreported as Apple disables this app on people's computers and with an update. That was the thing. And, and the update was forced out. So everybody got it. And people were like, what? They can't force an, an, uh, an OS update on me. And the truth was they didn't. That were just a bunch of stories that just said an update was you know, forced out. It wasn't an update to the OS. It was an update to a list of definitions of things that the OS will allow or not allow. Um, this is called XProtect. And it's been part of Mac OS for a while now. So the operating system already has this in there. And it just has a list of things all bad actors, you know, malware and such, and a few apps that had flaws in them. So, you know, older versions of those apps for the most part. And they added the older version of Zoom to that list. Um, so it was just the update of a little, you know, definition of an app that shouldn't run into a, into a database. Uh, you can actually look at that XProtect database. And so it's like one line would have been added with that version of Zoom to it. Um, and it, yeah, so nothing unusual, nothing that Apple hasn't been doing for years and years. Uh, and I'm sure other operating systems must have some sort of something with that. Uh, or people, you know, voluntarily install uh, antivirus software. Exactly. You know, not that it's really antivirus software anymore, anti-malware software um, that does exactly that as well. Uh, so. Right. If I, I was just yeah. thinking, how would Microsoft do this? And they would do it with Windows Defender. Windows Defender's job right. is, to, is to prevent applications that it considers to be dangerous or malicious from running. And they just, again, it would add it to the database and poof, that specific app wouldn't run. I think this kind of thing, it does add a little bit to the paranoia of the whole like, oh, you know, my camera can be uh, used at any time to record me. I should put a piece of tape over it or something. It certainly played uh, into that. Yeah. Yeah, it does definitely play into that, and uh, and of course, no. And I mean, in this case, the app would have launched, you know, after you took an action, you know. So you're you know on a web page, and it's like, oh, there's a link, click it. Oh, Zoom is launching. Oh, I'm in a Zoom chat. Look, there's a picture of me. There's the other people in the Zoom chat, and my camera is on with its light shining, and you know that little green light. And uh, so it would not have been some sort of secret thing going on. It would have basically just been. I don't know, probably convenient for some people. Well, it's interesting because I did read a little bit uh, somewhere that the folks at Zoom actually described this as not a bug, but a feature in the sense that they were attempting to make this easier by removing one click. And right. In other words, it was, uh, you know, one click or two clicks to enter a, a, a video chat. And now they have to add back an additional click to make it happen, to, to enable the camera. Right. Um, and one last thing about the story was uh, I saw a bunch of people in forums saying, well, how do you uninstall Zoom? Let's uninstall, uninstall. And if you read any story about it, it'll tell you that there's actually a setting for this feature. So you can just go into the settings and say, you know, turn off automatically join video conferences. Oh, right, and right. If you, and if you uncheck that, then that feature doesn't even work. So right. you know, people jumping to these conclusions that they need to uh, – uh, to you know, uninstall things or whatever. And, um, so there was another aspect to this that I didn't understand, and I don't know if you heard about it or not. There's mm -hmm. this claim that Zoom had installed a hidden web server was the phrase that they used. Had you heard anything about that? Well, I just think that's part of what 
makes this feature work was this I, I think it was just maybe some libraries from something i don't know the details i don't know okay. the technical details of it okay. um because what, I mean, what go ahead oh i just think a, a lot of software out there has you know quote hidden web servers unquote you know just basically attaching the http stack you know as a library to facilitate some sort of functionality sure oh yeah uh, yeah i can understand that there. completely um the the behavior you, that you described both from zoom and from apple uh actually um, matches what i heard described about this quote-unquote hidden web server it was um you know, supposedly there to enable this feature. And Apple proactively removed it last week, which sounds very much like a misinterpretation of what you just described, where they added this particular piece of software to a do not run list of some sort. Yep. So, so yeah, so another, another week, another weird security story. And, you know, the thing is that probably 98% of people don't even notice this stuff is happening. Mm -hmm. And out of the 2%, you know, there's certain people that misinterpret things or just read the headlines. Well, what's sad is that a lot of the people that seem to be misinterpreting things are the people writing the headlines. Right? <laughs> it's yeah. the people that are writing these articles that are supposedly trying to inform people about what's going on, and they're getting their information wrong. That's, um, and you know, I, if it's whether or not it's intentional or not, um, it's it's like you know my pet peeve, of course, clickbait headlines. I mean, oh my gosh, my camera! And I said, preying off of something that people are already borderline paranoid about. Uh, it's it's uh, you know bore, it's clickbait headlines. Oh my gosh, someone can start watching me without me knowing. Well, no, it's not the way it works. So, yeah. Good. No, I was going to say. I mean, it plays in you know when you're writing stories about that. There's two things. One is if you're an expert at this then you're probably not writing stories about it. You're probably actually working in the industry, you know, producing software. So, or if you're writing about things, you're writing about things that actually matter. Yeah. So, right. So, you know, yeah. So there's that, but then it also plays into the fact that this naturally becomes a clickbait headline, just not understanding it. So kind of the, uh, the bad behavior is reinforced. Right. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'm going to write this headline that makes it seem worse unintentionally. And I'm rewarded with more clicks right. because I didn't know what I was talking about. And this happens a lot in tech, not just with this kind of thing, but with all sorts of things. Yep. You know, privacy issues, security issues. Uh, anytime you want to mention a company like Apple, Facebook, Google, um, if, you, uh, if you get things wrong, it, that's almost a surefire way, <laughs> right, to get, to, get people to, <laughs> to get people to pay attention, you know. Is just to actually be wrong in your story. If you're exactly right and you just state facts, it, it, you know everybody's like, oh, "Okay," but you get it wrong, you're gonna get lots of comments, lots of people reposting. <laughs> and it's so, kind yeah. of sad too because even if you come back and say, "Oops, I was wrong," well, your your tidal wave of views has already passed. The people that saw your misinformation aren't going to come back and see that you were wrong. So even if you if you go in it with the idea that you'll correct yourself eventually, that didn't help. That's that's you know, the barn door is already open. The cows are out. Yeah, and the editors don't have any incentive to actually like, you know, the, the thing about the internet as opposed to previous generations of media like newspapers. You know, a newspaper issue comes out, stories wrong in it. All they can do is put a retraction the next day that right. nobody notices because it's a tiny little thing. Right. And then even historically, if you look it up. 20 years later in the library, 
you'll just see that original story and you will think, let me just check the next few days to see if there's a retraction. Right. Of course not. But the internet allows you to actually go to the original story and put an update in the original story, which is great, except that if the story is doing well and getting lots of clicks, uh, but it's wrong, the editors, the owners of the site have an incentive to not mess with it. Right. Yep. So, yep. Anyway. So also speaking of Zoom, uh, last we met, uh, which I guess was two weeks ago, I told you that I was doing a little experiment um, as a backup recording of uh, of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kevin had been using something called, I'm looking at here, Pizio or Pizo, Pizo, whatever it's called, uh, to basically record what's going on in his screen. And I thought, you know, I've got software that kind of sort of does that. It's called Camtasia. That's not what it's designed for. But, and uh, in fact, it's running again. And I actually posted the audio of last the last podcast uh, as in a link in one of the, um, uh, the show notes. My take on it is that it sounded better than uh, what Zoom gets us. I think huh. Zoom optim. And I didn't double check the file sizes, but um, I think Zoom optimizes for uh, a voice, right? So it's it's actually not really too concerned about high fidelity of audio, um, but it's also uh, optimizing for slow connections and or small file size. Whereas once you've recorded something with an offline app, like I'm doing with Camtasia, uh, you have a high quality recording that you could then make decisions about after the fact. Anyway, wow. um, what I'm thinking about doing is playing with it tonight. And um, if all of my edits go correctly, will now be heard in high definition. Doesn't it sound better? Hmm. I, I wonder I wonder if there's a simpler explanation. What's the simpler explanation? Really Zoom. I'm trying to look at how big your file is. Let's see. I'm saving the file out. I did play with it a little bit. I, I thought I got into the same ballpark at any rate. Oh, okay. All right, all right. So does Zoom when you save the audio for this thing, does it give you an option for quality? I don't remember. Last I don't, I, I'll look at it. Yeah, last I did this uh, myself recording through Zoom, uh, I don't recall seeing an option for that. Yeah, let's see. Your file, if I download it, was zero bytes. No, that can't be right. Um so I'm not sure what it is. I guess I'll have to work with downloading it later because it wants to play in the web browser. Being a good HTML5 web browser, it just wants to give it to me. But uh, yeah, I, I'm wondering if I'm just compressing it too much. But of course, then by compressing it, we make it a nice thin download for people to be able to listen to on the go without having to download it in advance and everything like that. So there's a trade-off on that. I am uh, taking a look myself because I've got theoretically have the original file that I uploaded here somewhere. Um, Of course, the machine I'm at isn't up to date yet. And now it's downloading the file, just like you were. (laughs) So, but anyway, I just thought it was interesting. Um, The the technology to be able to record whatever's happening on your screen is uh, 
you know, fairly interesting and fairly easy to repurpose. I just, uh, I thought it interesting that there are multiple ways to make this happen. Now, the one thing I mentioned last week that I haven't done, uh, I am still running on my Mac right now. So what you're, uh, what we're dealing with here is the Mac version of Camtasia and its ability to record system audio. I've done a, a, a test on the Windows side, but I haven't, of course, run the, um, the same experiment. You know, I haven't actually been at that machine for this podcast yet. Mm. Anyway, I just yeah, thought it was, was interesting. A- yeah, I was able to download it here, mm-hmm. and it is bigger. How much? So it's 45 megs, and I believe the file, I've got 32 megs. Okay, so it's, you know, a third again is big. Yep. Yeah, so it's probably just, I mean, I'm using whatever compression set I'm using. Um, I've, you know, I tried to, I've, if I remember correctly, I, I examined the published uh, Zoom recording and took a look and, and tried to uh, reverse engineer what the uh, the compression settings were and then tried to duplicate that. But, all right. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, let's see. What else we got? Um, well, speaking of, of video calls, you've got an interesting one about FaceTime that I actually I heard about in a different forum that got some really interesting reactions. Yeah, so this is interesting. So this is at, at Apple's testing out, of course, uh, iOS 13, the next version of the operating system for the iPhone and other iOS devices, and that will be coming out final release probably the end of September. And they have a feature in there for FaceTime. FaceTime, of course, is the the way you video chat with somebody on uh, iOS devices. Teenagers love to use it all the time, uh, but it's also used by adults, professionals, for all sorts of reasons. And uh, there's a feature that, uh, well, let me explain it this way. The camera is at the top of the phone. The person you're talking to is below that on the screen, and we have a tendency to look the other person in the face. So that means you're looking down below the camera. So if you're looking down below the camera, what they're seeing is you looking like at their chin or, you know, below it. Um, and they're doing the same to you. So you always have this view when you're video chatting with somebody of somebody's eyes looking down basically slightly. And every once in a while I like to, and I'm sure other people do this too, glance up at the camera intentionally, uh, you know, keeping this in mind. But Apple's going to be doing that for you automatically. Um, basically, even though you're staring at the middle of the screen and the camera is above that, it's going to look to the other person like you're staring directly at them. And they're doing this using some some really sophisticated uh, video, you know, live video streaming, editing technology using, um, you know, augmented reality to basically change where your eyeballs are in your eye <laughs> which just sounds creepy when you put it, it that way yeah. it sounds it does sound creepy and and it's and it's weird and uh it's one of these things that i you know i was reading some articles about it and this isn't something like apple just it's like oh this is a totally new thing apparently some people have been talking about this for a while in in certain circles of people discuss this type of technology so it's not completely out of the blue that apple's going to try this um and yeah, it's going to be interesting. Uh, I'm not sure the reason for it. Like, you know, it was fine. It's fine the way it is. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they just 
just quality uh, of I, life you know, kind of thing. I don't know. I, I find it, and maybe it's just me being a grumpy old man, I find it really annoying when people are looking off camera when they're talking at me. Uh, it's, it's, I know why they're doing it. Uh, you know, I, I understand that they're looking at my picture on their screen rather than at the camera, but it just looks weird. It looks like they're really not paying attention to you. For all you know, they're playing solitaire. Um, and you yeah, know, talking, chance, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, there you no. go. <laughs> um, and you know, talking to you is kind of an afterthought. If they were really talking to me, they'd be looking at me like they would if we were actually, you know, face to face across a table or something. But they—they're not really looking at you. <laughs> your their their phone is making it seem like they are. Um, well, that's the thing that makes it creepy, right? I mean, the yeah. the and and so to me, my my natural reaction is, I'm I understand this technology and why it's being considered, um, and I might even say why it's quote-unquote necessary. On the other hand, what I really think people ought to do is understand how video works, understand where the camera is on their phone, and look at that. Look at that most of the time. Look at that when you're talking, right? Um, just so that the person, it's a, it's a courtesy to the person at the other end that says you, they have, you have their attention or you, they have your attention, I guess would be the better way to put it. Um, it just looks like you're distracted when you're not looking at them. Well, you got to put that on the list after stop taking vertical photos yeah. <laughs> for things that people do. Um, yeah. you know, so this has gone to work on, or apparently at least the testing, it's on the latest iPhones, like the latest two models i think the uh right. 10s and 10s max which have the latest you know uh camera stuff at the top and so it won't work on the older ones or at least it isn't now so i can't even test it um and i think i would need two of them anyway i'm not sure if it works if you just have one and then it also wouldn't work when you do you know other devices so i don't know like the ipads and uh, on your Mac with, you know, all that. Well, even in, in a, just a Zoom video chat, right? If we yeah. were doing this via video, um, you know, you your your face would be on my screen, but the camera is, you know, up and off to the left. Uh, and, you know, I do this actually all the time. There are times when I'm on video calls and I make extra sure to look at the camera yeah, when I'm too. speaking to somebody. Um, it's just a courtesy as far as I'm concerned. But I like, wonder if this is not actually going to make the final release. Like this almost seems like, hey, we've got this tech. The beta is a great time to play with this. Mm -hmm. We'll have, you know, lots of people trying it out. Um, and then we could turn it off for the final release or near the final release or maybe make it the non-default you know, have it in there, but as a checkbox or something you know, special. It wouldn't surprise item. me if they did the latter. I think in theory, the problem is easier to solve if you solve it for a limited set of devices, like the phone specifically, you know, all the measurements involved. You know how far yeah. the camera is from the center of the screen. You know, you know, more or less where people are looking and then where they should be looking. You're not having to turn their face, for example. All you're really doing is adjusting their eyeballs. In like the computer case uh, where we're looking at a computer screen and you've got a webcam that you put at some random location, uh, you know, on top, off to a side, whatever, um, then... 
uh, depending on the angle, it could look even creepier if you're, you know, you're actually facing forward, but, you know, side eye kind of looking sideways at the camera. That would just be wrong. <laughs> right? uh, I think I think the way Apple's doing it, it's actually using the two cameras, the one that's the visible light camera, then the other one that's used for face ID. And that actually creates a 3D image uh, or can create a 3D image. And that's already used for various different things like the portrait photography and everything. Right. Um, and it's using those cameras and that 3D model, basically, what's going on in front of the camera to adjust your eyes. So regardless of – I don't even think it cares like how far down your eyes are looking, you know, probably within a limit. It's just going to adjust your eyes right. to – get back to that middle portion you know where it looks like somebody's staring directly at you i don't know i i uh i probably will um i'll be surprised if it's in the final release of ios 13 hmm. uh at least as a default right. option right we'll have to have to see it's funny i i immediately my mind immediately goes to the technology where um, in various chats, you can you know put cat ears on your head or dog yeah. tongue hanging out of your face, and it moves with your face more or yeah. less, right? There's a, there's a lag, and I'm just wondering if all of a sudden your eyeballs start lagging behind your head movement, or if you move your head too quickly, do your eyeballs like take a second to fall? Yeah, I I would I would hope not. I would hope that the, you know they would just be like, okay, this is the one thing this feature does is just adjust your eyeballs, and we are going to get that perfect um so there's no lag whereas you know with snapchat they're just you know oh let's do dog ears and cat whiskers and you know not spend too much oh, time on each thing exactly want the yeah. next one yeah. so, so yeah it'd be interesting yeah yeah so um in other news uh i've known for a long time that europe has their own um uh, gps equivalent uh galileo is what it's called and as it turns out, uh, what I didn't realize is that it's technically, I guess I'd call it still in beta. In other words, they're not doing uh, what we do with GPS, which is they have um, some life-critical services that are you know, explicitly not using it or not relying on it, unlike, unlike here. Well, as it turns out, um, Galileo's down. Uh, it'd be the, the equivalent of uh, GPS being down, which would, of course, cause all sorts of havoc here based on our, because we rely on it so much. But I just thought it interesting. The claim was uh, that it is not a satellite issue. It's some kind of a ground-based issue, which the good news there is that if it's ground-based, they stand a chance of being able to fix it. Right. It's something that's that's doable as opposed to if there were some kind of fundamental flaw in all their satellites, um, that could be a little bit more tricky to get resolved. The other piece of of good news to me, at any rate, that I did not know is that uh, both China and Russia have their own systems as well. Uh, so there are actually four different GPS or GPS equivalent systems covering most of the earth. Now, as you might imagine, I'm sure that the Russian equivalent, you know, focuses mostly on the, you know, the upper Asia continent. Uh, China focuses mostly on their stuff. But of course, they all like GPS or you know, covering the entire globe. So they probably have data for everywhere. Uh, the reason I say that's, quote unquote, good news is that I see it as a form of redundancy. 
because like I said, we rely on GPS in, in ways that we don't even realize, right? I mean, it's, it's just yeah. become second nature. It's in all of our phones. It's in, it, it just gives us all sorts of interesting information, um, both for good and quote unquote, for some people might consider for evil because of course, marketing information uses it to target where you are and what you're doing and all that kind of stuff. But if the GPS system actually went down, uh, that would cause chaos. And I just find it interesting to realize that, okay, okay. I mean, I realize that there are political issues that would have to be negotiated to make it happen, but there are at least some alternatives out there that potentially could, could be used for uh, at least, especially the uh, the life safety kinds of, of functions that are relying on it today. Hopefully it'll never happen. Hopefully GPS will just keep working. It's pretty, pretty amazing. In fact, uh, to, to circle back to the Wasart call out from earlier where we used it dramatically, you know, we used it tremendously during our call out to, to know where we were, where our teams were, what progress was being made. Um, and even just in Google maps, you know, how do I get from my house to the trailhead? Well, here you go. So, uh, like I said, interesting. I'm hoping it'll be interesting to see what happens with Galileo and if they if they ever actually publicly uh, let us know what specifically the problem turned out to be. Yeah, I I wish Randy were here because he probably knows a lot more about the satellite stuff than we do. But um, you know, I seem to remember that the reason it's so robust is because each satellite is basically its own thing, just sending out a timestamp. Right. Uh, and then you know so a satellite can go down and they do i'm sure they do and, yeah and and there there are plenty up there so you don't you know you need you need so many of them like um i, I actually used gps i know you did before they were on phones mm-hmm. uh and i could see on the screen on a jeep dedicated gps device it would show you the satellites uh and it, you know little dots on the screen right and it needed three of those, basically, a good signal from three to give you your location. Right. But it could get slightly more accurate if it got four or five. And sometimes you could be looking at the screen and see way more than that, right. like 20. Right. You know, and um, it's like, okay, so one goes down, you have 19 instead of 20. It doesn't matter. You're still going to know your location perfectly fine. So I wonder what the deal is with Galileo. And I wonder if it's a ground-based failure, you know, if each satellite is independent of the other. And I'm wondering if, okay, oh, yeah. that's a really good point. Something's going on on the ground and whatever controls them. And I don't know, but, um, but yeah, I, and also I, I'm pretty sure that, that they have to basically just the whole idea of GPS or the, the satellites, at least our system in America is there's equal coverage all over the planet just because they're all orbiting <laughs> and, you know, you, you get, your coverage over North America like you want in the U.S., but as a result, you're going to get your coverage over the middle of the Pacific just as much because those satellites are all just completing you know, full orbits around. I'm, I'm not sure that's necessarily the case. It's the ideal case for sure, but I could see choosing orbits that uh, maximize coverage of the United States and still perhaps, I don't want to say overlook but at least minimize the the coverage density at other other parts of the planet but either way um you know they're for all we know they're you know they're spewing out more data when they're over their targeted areas rather than you know to in order to save power or something like that who knows but there's uh 
Okay, definitely ways to do that. I actually have an app on my uh, on my phone, and I'm sure you have a similar one. Uh, mine's called GPS Status, and you fire it up, and it's it's like oodles and oodles of geeky data. But same thing, it's showing you all of the satellites that it's in contact with, all of the GPS satellites. I shouldn't say that it's in contact with, that it's listening to. That's one of the big misnomers about GPS. Um, your device is not transmitting at all. Yeah. Your device is simply listening to all of the different signals coming in from the GPS satellites that it is uh, it can hear from. And it's using the differences in uh, actually the, the arrival time of the various bits of information that are synchronized uh, to determine exactly how far from each satellite it is. And from there, being able to triangulate or quadrangulate or quintrangulate, I guess, um, a more and more accurate location. Yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize, too, is that on your typical phone, you know, iOS or Android phone, you are um, looking at your, GP, your GPS location. We still call it that. But chances are you're probably not using GPS at all because there are three systems. The, the fallback is GPS, the actual satellites. But you're getting transmission from cell phone towers, which all have known locations, and it triangulates your location uh, between those cell phone towers. And you're also getting Wi-Fi signals and that's from just about every Wi-Fi router on the planet, including the one you have in your house. Um, it's sending its unique ID, and that is giving its location to your phone as well. So it could figure out based on what Wi-Fi signals. You know, if you go to your computer and you look at Wi-Fi, if you live in the city like I do, I see like 40 different Wi-Fi stations appear right. you know, from all my neighbors. And they all have different signal strengths. If I wanted to go into detail and look at that and based on that, you could figure out, OK, which are the strongest ones, which are the weakest ones. Uh, so I must be located right, you know, this spot on my block. Right. And and the way it does that is, you know, if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I never told anybody like my location when I set up my, you know, Linksys router or whatever in my house. Well, you didn't. But at some point, some truck drove by. Going to say that. <laughs> Yeah, they were and, war driving basically, and and yeah, was paying attention yeah. and noticing all that. Yep. Yeah. So truck, and they did this. It was a huge project in the 2000s or whatever. You know, they drove trucks all around, and those trucks had GPS, and they knew where they were, and then they would detect uh, Wi-Fi routers and register them in a huge database, and then this constantly gets updated. And I believe nowadays it gets updated not only by devices like that, but as you use your devices. I was going to say, I, I mean, it's there's a chicken and egg problem, but if you've got one device that has GPS and Wi-Fi, like, yeah. say, your phone, then if there's a Wi-Fi router whose location is unknown, well, we grab the GPS location and assign it to that, and, and you're done. Now you've got that as an additional data point. Right. So, so most people in the city, you're, you're getting very quick location data because all the Wi-Fi and all the right. uh, mobile towers around you before it even falls back to the GPS, which right. is one of the things I love about you know going out camping when you're completely away from all that, is I can look at my phone and say, well, it really must be using the GPS. Yeah, I was just going to say. So again, on that call out, we were we were in the middle of nowhere. There was yeah. no phone, uh, no Wi-Fi for sure, and uh, yes, whatever we were getting, we were getting from um, 
GPS. It's interesting. One of the people had a had a device with them called an InReach. It's used by uh, folks who do a lot of hiking and camping in the backcountry, and it is uh, essentially satellite based GPS. And now, what I mean by that is it's using the traditional GPS system to uh, determine its location, but it also acts as a kind of uh, sat phone. And you have the ability to send and receive text messages, which and people who are uh, to whom you've given a URL to have the ability to uh, ping you, watch, you know, note where you are at any point in time, which is uh, really, really valuable uh, for hikers that you mm-hmm. know, have the potential for getting lost or in the case of search and rescue. Uh, in, you know, being able to locate people, being able to co- talk to people back, uh, you know, uh, in the real world, so to speak. Um, I just thought it was an interesting thing. I mean, each text message, of course, costs you some number of cents, you know, kind of back to the old days of, of text messaging. But when you think about how they got the text message there and how they're getting the text message out in particular, um, it's pretty amazing that it works at all. And, and it's worth a few cents, especially if it's a, a life safety issue. Yeah, that's a uh, Garmin product, which they've been doing GPS forever, uh, Garmin in reach. And actually, there was a, uh, I, th- I believe there was an article a while ago, maybe it was a year ago or something, because there was a flaw in uh, one of their devices uh, that they f- fixed. And I don't even know if it's their current device, where it could accidentally, um, you know, if you, you could actually press it without realizing. Um, and there was a hiker in the in the middle of nowhere that suddenly was you know, heard helicopters outside of his tent and went out to, to see what was going on and was like, oh, they're doing a rescue in here. Hey, they're coming right to, towards me. They're hovering over me, you know, uh, and it was, uh, I, I don't, I'm pretty sure it was the inReach, but maybe it was one of the other ones that, that had, he had done the combination of things that had ended up triggering it, you know, did its job. If, you know, it thought that the hiker was in trouble. So, but, uh, but then that article talked about how they, I think it was mostly about how they had improved it to not accidentally call. So, yep. um, yeah, I would definitely uh, uh, get one of those if I did more backpacking. Right. I think they're a good thing to have. The um, We worked with, um, so Wasart being animal-based, we don't have quite the resources that some of the search and rescue people do, but we work with the, the search and rescue teams. And, in fact, one of the people on the uh, call out last night was a member of the local search and rescue team, and she brought her own. She just has one. Uh, because she spends so much time out in the backcountry doing these kinds of things. It just makes so much sense for that kind of a scenario. So I do, uh, like as a related thing, I, I among my gadgets that I've accumulated, I have a recent one that is a uh, GPS tracker. And uh, basically all it does is it gets the GPS signals, figures out where it is, and it has a SIM card in it, and it connects to mobile networks, uh, you know, a, a slow, cheap mobile networks, but all it needs to do is every three minutes send a signal. And and then you could plot on a map. You can look at a map and see, you know, where it goes. And my idea is uh, take it backpacking with me. Um, usually where I go backpacking, there's no mobile signal. So it won't do anything because it won't actually be able to connect and, you know, transmit the signal. But that's not always the case because there have been times when I brought my phone out when I've been in, on a mountaintop or, right. you know, on a ridge and I can, you know, oh, I see some civilization way off in the distance. I wonder if I have a signal. And sometimes I do. And it makes me wonder how many times I, if I would actually check, I may have some sort of weird signal 
Um, but of course, I'm not hiking with my head down looking at my phone for a signal. I'm only checking, you know, once or twice a day out of curiosity. So this thing would actually be checking all the time. So as I hike, it, I would be getting little blips. And as an experiment, I want to hike this trail that's really remote that I've been on before, have the thing on and in my backpack the whole time. And when I get home, actually see where it was able to transmit my location from, if at all. Interesting. So, yep. So. You know, yeah. I've got a, oh. a similar device in my vehicle. It's actually plugged into the vehicle's data port. And uh, so as I'm driving around uh, in the SUV that I use for these kind of callouts, uh, it is using GPS to and my phone, actually, to uh, record where I've gone, you know, basically where I've traveled. It's also recording how fast I'm going and mm. how many times I hit the brakes too hard and that kind of thing. But uh, the interesting thing for me is that one of the uh, requirements for uh, volunteer work of these kinds of things is that you log the time you leave, the time you arrive, the time you head home, the time you get home, and the number of miles you travel. Well, I don't log any of that anymore. When I get home, I go to a web page, I look at the report from this device, and I just have all the information right there. It's actually very, very cool. This device happens to be by a company called Automatic. And um, if you've ever seen ads for insurance companies offering to give you a discount because mm. of your good driving, it's often because what they're asking you to do is install a device like this into your car so that they can, in fact, make sure that you don't speed or you, you, know, you don't do jackrabbit starts or you don't you know, hit, hit the brakes too hard too often or that kind of thing. So that you're actually, for the, uh, for the price of exposing your driving habits to your insurance company, your insurance company gives you a cut on your premiums. Yeah, I've seen commercials for those, and it's interesting, you know, when you live in the world we do where people talk about privacy a lot, you know, you see examples of the really obscure things that people get upset about, and then you see examples of people actually voluntarily giving up lots of data about themselves yeah. um, for, like, a little discount. Um, so The power it, of a discount funny. is pretty impressive. But then yeah. so is the power of free. I mean, look at how much data we're giving Facebook because their service is free. <laughs> Man, I'm telling you, you know, um, well, that's that's a whole other track, the whole Facebook uh, stuff. We could talk about that for a few hours. Uh, but, yeah, so interesting, cool stuff. And one final note on that on the GPS tracker as I actually tried it. I went on a road trip recently, and I uh, the one I talked about last week where I was off grid, and I had that with me. And the uh, I may not be able to use it for the hiking thing after all because the battery died very quickly. <laughs> it's a two-week battery, right? But I took this with me, and as soon as it was, it was not able to contact a cell tower, the battery died pretty fast. And I'm thinking what it was doing was it was trying really hard. You know you know your battery in your phone, like if you're getting a bad connection, right. it seems to die. You know, it's like, oh, okay, I want to get that data card. I'm going to try over and over again. Yeah, it does. And <clears> I, <throat> I think this device has kind of a big flaw there it, uh, where it was like, I'm not able to find a tower. I'm going to keep trying. I'm going to get that data up there. And it basically drained the battery in a very short period of time. It's actually not the fact that it keeps trying. It's the fact that it's trying harder. Cell connections, yeah. um, they, they use 
the minimal amount of power to get the connection. So if you're close to a tower, your phone is actually transmitting at a lower power than if, than if you are you know, a long ways away. And of course, if, you're, if there are no towers, then yes, it's going to be transmitting periodically at the maximum amount of power it can in order to try and reach um, a tower of some sort. So absolutely, that's going to drain the battery really quickly. And I was kind of, I was, I didn't say anything, but I was kind of wondering if battery issues were going to be a problem. I have an app from um, my fitness pal, which is the calorie counter that I use called Map My Walk. Well, unfortunately, Gary had to run off for an issue that he had to deal with at home. So we're going to call this episode of TEH good. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash TEH 75. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the TEH podcast. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you here again next week. (laughs) 